Hey, well, good morning. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. I know I did. And that's, uh, but we're back here on this Sunday morning, this rainy Sunday morning. And as uh, Travis uh, shared with you uh, earlier that, I'm actually getting to preach this time. And so uh, they, they, some of you guys were getting nervous, thinking I was going to take up a second offering or something. But no, I'm not doing that. That's, you know, I typically do that on Sunday mornings. I, that's not what I'm doing. And so, um, but if you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Matthew Cogswell. I'm the next generation uh, pastor here at Hope Fellowship Church. Uh, which means I get to oversee the middle school to uh, college students with the help of some amazing leaders and staff. And so, um, yeah, I'm just blessed uh, with the opportunity to be here. But most importantly, what I want you to know about me, if you're a guest, is that, man, I am a walking testimony to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. That it's by grace that we are saved uh, through faith. That it's a gift, uh, not anything of works that we could earn. And so, man, for 20 years of my life, I was living the straight heathen lifestyle, going 100 miles per hour, but going nowhere, if you know what I mean. And so, um, so I'm just humbled for this opportunity to be here and to wrap up our Advent series, Already But Not Yet. And uh, each week, Pastor Mark has done a masterful job of kind of breaking down the already aspect, the beauty of that aspect with, with us um, the first arrival of Jesus, or also known as the Advent. And, but I'm going to just kind of quickly just kind of recap with us for those of you who have not been here for this season here. We've got first week, we've got this little mangy here with a star. And so in uh, first week, we looked at Isaiah chapter uh, 4, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we looked at how uh, Christ's uh, arrival came into the invasion into the darkness of our world and in, dar- in the darkness of our lives. And, and that because of the first coming, because of the first arrival, we, we can have hope that no matter how dark life can get, the light of Christ can still come and illuminate our lives. And then week two, we looked at the Gospel of John and uh, talked about the incarnation. And some of you guys can't see this, but I took out a lamb. And you're wondering, why did he take out a lamb um, talking about the the Gospel of John? Because, well, Pastor Mark has so eloquently talked to us about what the very definition of the word incarnation means. Carnation means meat. And so we got lamb chops. No, I mean, we're just literally, we're, we're talking about that Jesus, the God's son, took on flesh, became the very embodiment of forgiveness itself. And, uh, and through that, we know because the first coming, because that already aspect, we have provision for our sinful nature in this broken world. And then we have... Mary, and we looked in the Gospel of Luke, and we saw that in his Gospel, he took an orderly account, a careful investigation into the birth of Christ, and we see that through Mary, and as she believed the word that was spoken through the angels, that she would conceive a child, even though she did not know a man, man, it tells us because of the first coming, 
that the impossible is possible with God. That we too can have hope in this, this world during this Christmas season. A faith that anchors us even through this Christmas season. And then we have the wise, oh, not the wise man. It looks like a wise man, but it's shepherds. The shepherds. This is one of my favorite aspects. Last week when he broke down that in uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 2, that these stinky, smelly shepherds that were the cast-offs, low uh, end of society, God used them to herald the coming of, his, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know that because of the first coming, because of that, it doesn't matter if we're poor, rich, black, white, whatever social status we come from, that we all have a place at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. And so, we've been going through this, this Advent series. We've been going through this already aspect of this, uh, of this Christmas series. And, and, and it's, been, it's been wonderful. But what about the not yet part? Right? Already but not yet. What about the not yet you know, uh, it's this second coming of, of Christ or the second advent. It's weighty stuff, right? It can get kind of hairy a little bit, right? If you do, so, there's so many different viewpoints, so many different things that we can kind of go from. And so you could probably imagine my expression when I was in staff meeting and Pastor Mark, uh, was, he was going through the Advent series and going week by week. And he said, oh, yeah, and, and, and Matthew's going to be wrapping up the series by talking about the second coming of Christ. I was like, I am? <laughs> he said, yes, you are. So I was like, okay. And after the staff members picked me up from off the floor and I was kind of got over the initial kind of hump of, of, of this very weighty topic I started getting excited because as I'm praying through the scriptures and I'm, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm kind of looking at what God is wanting to say to us, I'm getting, I'm getting this, this excitement. I'm getting that this fact that God has a timely word for us. He has a timely word for, for you and I as we get ready to enter into a new year where we tend to start making plans. We start talking about resolutions and setting goals and my hope is that by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word, that we can begin to shed some light on this very complex and important topic, such as the second coming of Christ. And that th- from that, we begin to answer a question that some of us have already been thinking, some of us have already been asking. And if you haven't, you should be asking this question. And it's this, now what? Now what? Now, Pastor Mark's not here, but that does not mean I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and greet them. And I want you to greet them, welcome them, and then I want you to ask the question: Now what? Now what? Go ahead, go and greet your neighbor. Now, all you introverts thought you were going to get away from that, but you, you weren't going to get away from that. But before we can get into that, that answering that question, we, we must take a moment to first discuss the not yet aspect. The second advent or the second coming of Christ. First Thessalonians 4.16 tells us that the Lord himself will come down from heaven to make all things new. That means all the wrongs will be made right. 
All the sicknesses, diseases will be healed. The chaos, depravity will cease to exist as the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come down from heaven and make everything new and we'll be with him forever. Amen? Amen? Can I get a hallelujah for that? Yes. There's so many amazing aspects to this promise. So many things that we can be looking forward to and that, man, we could take the next two months to unpack. But unfortunately, we don't have that time. And if Pastor Mark was here, it would be two years to unpack it. I'm just kidding. No, but, for, but for real, but for real, here's the challenge that um, we are in today, that we live in today. It's this, this, this already, we have this already blessings that, that have come in the first event, the first arrival of Christ. That his kingdom has come. And we have, already, we have these promises yet to come in this second advent or this second coming of Christ. And the reality is that the kingdom has not yet been fully revealed, has it? Right? It hasn't been fully revealed. Because the truth is we're still living in a Genesis 3 broken world. Right? And until Jesus comes back, there's still going to be brokenness. You know, this, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. But you know what? Every time we turn on the news channel, we see the darkness. That we still wrestle with our sinful natures and bouts of depression. And we wonder if that light truly is able to come into a broken world, right? Right? Yeah, we know that Jesus is the very embodiment of forgiveness. But man, I just keep on getting hurt by those people. And I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And I'm not sure if I can keep on forgiving others or even forgiving myself. We have the assurance that Mary's song should give to every one of us this blessed assurance but just like Pastor Mark talked about, there's still that 10% of doubt that we all kind of wrestle with. And, and some of us, that 10%, it seems to be eating up the security and the, and the, and the assurance and the, and the confidence that we have in Christ. And then lastly, the shepherds, my favorite, signifying that we all have a place at the cross. But some of us still feel so ashamed, so so much of an outcast that we can't even come to Christ because he won't accept us for who we are or where we are. And it's the reality of this tension from living in between the already but not yet that we find ourselves in today. It's a tension that if we're not careful, we can be tempted to box up our faith and fellowship with Christ and with one another And we can kind of just kind of put it, put it away like the Christmas decorations that we all have to put away here at the end of the year. Boxing that put in the attic, kind of going on, going through the motions. And this tension is why Christmas blues is a real thing. Why we get glimpses of the beauty of living in the light of Christmas. We get caught up in the shadows, the presents, the nativity scenes, decorations. But when that time comes for us to take them down, we can be found wanting longing for something more, which leads to what I believe 
is one of the greatest enemies in our church today. And it's not what you may think. You know, it's, it's abortion. It's, it's, it's gay marriage. It's, it's, it's all these, these issues. But what I believe it is, is, I believe it's our own spiritual apathy. Our spiritual apathy. Apathy is an interesting term. It's made up of two parts. You got pathos and then this small word, A, a letter A, which negates the word. And so here's our little language study for this morning. That uh, if, you, if the word pathos means passion and that A negates that previous word, what is it? What's the word mean? Without passion, right? Without passion. So it's living life without passion. We can become apathetic about a lot of things, right? Our jobs, families, church. It's this lack of concern for the important things of life, the, this, this spiritual apathy that leaves many feeling defeated as we live in the tension of this already but not yet. But the good news is this, that our providential and sovereign God did not leave us to our own measures. He, he knew what was going to happen. He sees the end from the beginning, and he has given us a word. He has given us a word. And, and so um, it's going to be in Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 37, which is going to be our main text this morning. And so just fair warning, just fair warning, this message is not about prophetic timetables. And so if you came here for like, oh, the prophet, he's going to tell us when he's going to cut that, that is not what this is about. Though studying the signs of the times, Jesus talks about that is important. That is important. I just believe that in the past, the church has missed the mark in some big ways, which I believe only fuels this spiritual apathy or, or fatigue more on this in just a few minutes. But the purpose of this passage, the purpose of Mark 13, and actually the whole, I mean, the whole chapter is, is the central focus is to teaching and to stimulate right living for God in a world where he is largely ignored. In other words, he's helping to us to answer the, that question, now what, that we find ourselves living in today. Mark 13, verse 32 through 37 says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning or lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Point number one, don't get caught up in the predictions. Don't get caught up in the predictions. Verse 32 clearly says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the Father you see, the disciples had asked Jesus uh, a question uh, about when the temple was going to be destroyed. And that was a big thing for uh, the Jewish people at that time. And, and, and so, um, and Jesus even talked, he hinted about this, the temple being destroyed. And so they, uh, so they asked, okay, when is that going to ha happen and when's the end of the world going to be? And we see that their questions revealed that their understanding 
of prophecy was still quite confused, much like it is for us today. Jesus uses this teaching to kind of uh, opportunity to, to talk about a, a prophetic message, which is most commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And so he says, concerning that day and hour, um, what, what is that day and hour? That it's his return, right? It's his return. It's, it's the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And so when he says no one knows, not even himself, he's, some people have actually turned this message into, or this passage into, you know, kind of twisting around and say, well, there's a hierarchy now between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's, that's, not, that's not the point of this verse here. Yeah, I mean, we also, we know that Philippians 2 says that, that God humbled himself. He, and part of that, he means he emptied him, his, his, himself and, and he has a limited uh, uh, knowledge and, uh, and he was in submission to the Father. And so that, that when he says that he didn't know, it wasn't because he wasn't God. It wasn't because he wasn't co-equal with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, it was something different. He was pointing the fact that no one knows the day and the time. No one knows. Therefore, all predictions of the exact year, day, or time is false. Anyone who tries to predict the exact time of his return is either mentally ill, a liar, or simply deceived. But we love to get kind of wrapped up into those predictions, don't we? we kind of, it, it, it's nothing new, these false prophetic Predictions have been going on for years. You would think we would learn by now, but no, we haven't. It's sad. It's actually, it happens so much, it becomes comical. Time Magazine came out with an article entitled, Top 10 End of World Prophecies. What is this, Sports Center? What, what's, I don't know. I don't get, here's, here's a couple which are pretty interesting. One, the Great London Fire of 1666. I don't know if you guys know about this. As many of you know that in the Christian tradition, the number 666 is, is described as the mark of the beast and, and coming from the book of Revelation. So it was a, no surprise that the Europeans at this time worried about the year 1666 as it was approaching uh, that there's, the world was going to end. And it didn't help that the year before, a plague had wiped out about 100,000 people and a fifth of London's population, leading many to predict the end of the world. Y2K. You guys remember Y2K? The end is here. The end of the world is here. Why? Because in January, leading up to January 1st, 2000, people thought that the world's uh, entire computer network was going to crash because computers had been programmed to record dates using the only last two uh, digits um, of each year, meaning that the year 2000 would then register it back to the 1900s. And so everybody's freaking out, all the work, buying up all types of food, making bomb shelters, f- just making terrible, terrible financial uh, decisions, and, and, and there's consequences to that. Did the world uh, come to an end? No, it did not. Their bank accounts probably did, but the, the, the watchtower... The Watchtower. This is now their legal and administrative arm of Jehovah Witnesses, and their representatives assert that they have been given insight into the true meaning of the Bible and the unique ability to discern the signs of Christ's second coming. Run. Run. 
Don't get caught up in the predictions. I like this one quote from an article in John Piper's uh, website, Desiring God. <clears throat> it says this, When our waiting for Jesus is found, uh, founded on God's promise, we draw our confidence from the dependability of the one who has made the promise. That's good news for Christians because the God of promise is the sovereign Lord of history and therefore totally reliable. Our certainty arises from the dependability of God's character, not the prediction, precision of our calculations. Jesus' return is not a puzzle to be figured out, but rather a promise for God, from God to trust. Amen? We, can base our li- we can't base our lives on predictions, but we can base our lives on the biblical understanding of the character and nature of the God we serve, the sovereign Lord of history. But if we don't, man, we can really get caught up when the mocking and the scoffing comes. And it will come. It already has. Second Peter 3.3 3 says, First of all, we must understand that in the last days, which is that time in between, where we are, in between the already but not yet, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming? He promised. Where is he? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's this, it's this mocking. I don't know if you guys have been around that before, but people like, but you believe what? Some, you know, Christ figure is going to come from heaven. He's going to redeem the world. Ooh. Oh, he's really going to come back? Well, what about those predictions earlier? Y2K, yeah, the end of the world really happened. Psych. It's this mocking, it's this, it's this, it's this proud, this, this tension, this, this spiritual kind of undertone that can, that if we're not careful, can kind of make us just kind of put, put our faith away and be like, yeah, you know what, that is kind of silly. But we must be on guard, which leads us to point number two, beware of spiritual fatigue. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's interesting language that the Lord is using here. To guard, to be careful, prudent, or watchful, to do something conceived as watching carefully. Keep awake. Another translation reads, to be alert. And some early manuscripts of this text go even further by saying, be alert and pray. This text could actually be read, be careful, prudent, and watchful to be of action. Be alert and prayerful. My question for you and I today, this morning, is will we consider our relationship with Christ as alert and prayerful? Would we consider our lives, our walks with Christ as alert and prayerful? When I was in Bible college, and uh, I was going to Bible college in Southeastern University in, uh, in Florida, Lake in Florida, and uh, like many college students, um, I went home during the break. And uh, my home at that time was Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So that was about a 24-hour uh, ride. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I take the trip. And, you know, I was a young buck. So I just, you know, just drive on through, you know, 24 hours, just stopping here for gas and there. But, you know, there's, there's times where I start get, started to get a little bit tired. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have ever gotten really tired driving before. I mean, I'm not talking about just tired. I'm talking about, like, deliriously tired, you know, where it starts off. <laughs> You know, we try to, you know, 
just kind of turn the radio up a little bit, trying to stay awake, maybe even putting down the window, get some fresh air, you know, trying to stay driving, trying to stay awake. And, and then it progresses, right? I mean, oh, I could get some food or something or coffee or something, and that's not working. And all of a sudden, it's like you start pinching yourself. <laughs> you start slapping yourself. Don't look at me like you don't do the same things. Uh, you've been driving by people in the pinch and slapping themselves. And you're like, what is going on in that car? We're trying to stay awake here. We're trying to stay awake. It's hard. It's tough. But snoozing behind the wheel can result in some serious consequences, right? Therefore, staying awake and alert is critical. Listen, I believe that the Lord wants to say to the body of Christ today, we are less than 48 hours from entering into the year 2019 and who are wrestling with a tension of living in this already but not yet tension. We may be tempted to hit this snooze button behind the wheel of our lives, but the Lord is saying, wake up! Wake up! Man, I was praying about it. And I was looking for an illustration, something that could kind of hit home with the point of this language that Jesus is speaking about here in Mark 13. And I came up with this smelling salt. (laughs) Smelling salt. You know, a.k.a. ammonia inhalants. Historically, they have been used to keep people from fainting, feeling faint. But nowadays, they're, they're more used for athletes who are trying to, to stay alert and awake, uh, like you know, hockey players and football players. So they can be, wake, they can be woken up, they can be alert to the, to, the, to the reality, the tension in the competition field that they are in. I believe that this message this morning for you and I, when God wants to speak to us, is he wants to say, get some smell and so wake up, because you do not know when the time will come of his return. You don't know. We don't know. Romans 13, 11 says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The Apostle Paul wrote this in the year A.D. 57 to a people who are only 24 years removed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How much more so for us today, the church today, going into the year 2019, 2,000 years later, how much more so are we closer to that time when he's going to crack open the sky and return and redeem his people and be the King of kings and the Lord of lords in our lives? We need to wake up. Some of us are a little sleepy right now. Been through the holidays, I get it. A lot of work, a lot of things. You know, just, maybe just, just, just tired. But here, I, if Jesus is saying wake up, that would imply that there's, that there's many of us that are asleep. That are asleep. Pastor Matt, I'm not asleep. I'm not snoozing. I'm not tired. I'm, come on. I, I'm not, I never fell asleep in church. I'm good. Trust me, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about that. It's like this reminds me of my grandmother, 95 years old. She is a firecracker. I love her to death. 
Um, she's, she's one that you can be in conversation with her, and, uh, and, you know, and all of a sudden she'll just kind of, you know, close her eyes and just rest her eyes, and, you know, five minutes later she'll perk up, and, and she'll be right alert with the conversation. You're like, Grandma, I thought you were sleeping. I thought you were snoozing. It's this, it's this, we all know what it's like to be physically tired, but what does it mean to be spiritually tired? To be spiritually asleep. Uh, what does that mean? And how would you know, how would you and I know if we were spiritually fatigued? Those are great questions. I'm so glad you asked. First Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So this, this, this sleep is a, is a metaphor for a carelessness in spiritual and moral things. That the Bible talks about all through the eschatological um, uh, uh, teachings in these end times. And, and, and what he's saying is that sometimes we can kind of just become numb. We can kind of become numb and kind of going through the motions. Listen, if we are more disciplined about the diet that we're about to start up in the new year and going back to working out at the gym, we may be sleeping. If we care more about being, uh, about, about um, the appearance of looking all in or, or being all in with our faith and our relationship with God than we are actually doing in our private lives, we may be sleeping. If our, our prayer lives are only active on Sunday mornings, we might be sleeping. If we care more about piling up more agendas and things in, on our calendars before falling on our knees and submitting to the one who has the ability to make something happen, we may be sleeping. Listen. Here's the, here, if you're not going to get anything else from this message, hear this. There's no time for snoozing. There's no time for snoozing. Here's the deal. All, believer, all believers at some point have or will experience this spiritual fatigue in various degrees. I, uh, why? Because we live in a Genesis chapter 3 world, right? And then we're like fragile like clay pots, as Pastor Mark talked about last week. And although the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. It reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's speaking to his disciples to keep watch and pray. He goes away, right? Comes back, and what were they doing? He says, wake up, come on. Goes away, comes back. He finally says, wake up! The spirit is willing, but the flesh is Weak. We need to be alert and prayerful, y'all. We, we, we need to be active. We need to start taking notice. We need to start taking, uh, uh, taking a real look in our, at our hearts and say, hey, are we snoozing? Are we snoozing? Why? Because of the reality of our final point this morning, which is this. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. It's like a man, verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
So, Pastor May, are you telling me this is this works-based theology, right? Is this works-based theology? You know, I have to start doing more and and doing that in order for God to love me and and accept me? No. I'll repeat that. No. It's not about that. It's not about that. God loves you and I, and we couldn't do anything more or less for that to change. That That is, hear me, please. But if we can take a minute to look at this parable some, uh, some more, I think that we can see that there's, there's, there's something different that Jesus is talking about that's, that's very important. So we see in this parable, we see he introduces three different characters. One, the homeowner. Two, the servants. And three, the doorkeepers within the servants. And so the, the homeowner leaves, but before he leaves, he gives his servants and, uh, each one work to do, and he commands them to stay awake. Uh, we can pre- clearly see who represents who here, right? And the homeowner is going on a long journey. That's Jesus, and whose return is unexpected. The servants are all born-again believers, and the doorkeeper represents those in particular leadership in the body of Christ. And we see the same motif in, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, 25, and Luke chapter uh, tw- uh, 12, which each give a different nuance of how to live in the light of this soon return. So what is Jesus saying? I can tell you for sure what he's not implying. Nowhere in this text does he say for believers to be sitting on their hands and twiddling their thumbs. Right? And it certainly doesn't imply that we have the freedom to just go about our days doing what we want, when we want, without having real consequences. No, this is clearly a picture of the Great Commission, right? Recorded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And in Acts chapter 1, it shows us a little more to what, what was going on at this time when he gave that Great Commission. It says that Jesus, right before he ascended to the Father, he, was, he gave this command to the disciples. And as he gives this command, he begins to leave, just ascending before their eyes, and they're just absolutely amazed by the fact that he's, he's, he's disappeared, he's, he's gone. And then two angels appear, and they say, hey, why are you staring into the sky? Don't you know that he's going to return just the way that he left? You've got work to do. You've got work to do. So what's the specific work? What's the specific work that we have to do? Well, it's going to vary from person to person, right? And this, te- and, and this text shows that God's given all of his people clear work to do. And that's to be active in making disciples and be witnesses for the wor- to the world around them. In other words, we have purpose. My wife and I, have a sweet little girl, two years old, her name's Isabella. She is a ham, I tell you what. I love her. She has got enough energy to power a stadium. Like, she's, she's just, just everywhere, active. She's moving. And she loves, you know, the dolls and loves playing with the toys just like any other kid. But you know what she likes the most, which really perks her up? When daddy and mommy give her a task. 
When da- it doesn't matter what the task is. It doesn't matter how um, small or insignificant. Anything from carrying the dog bowl to feed our little dog Lily to putting away a little piece of trash. She's like, yes, yes, yes. Let me do it. And she eagerly, her eyes perk up. She, she eagerly does it. Why? Not because the task was everything great per se, but because she was participating with her father, with her father and her mother, with her parents. It was this, this excitement to participate with, 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 with us that made her eyes perk up. Let me just tell you something. There's nothing more that's going to keep us spiritually asleep than for those of us who don't understand that we have a purpose, that we don't have a task, or that we, we do have a task to just, you know, live a good life and, you know, have, make a good living, don't kill anybody, you know, the basics, you know, and that's good. No, no, no. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. And it's the most exciting, most productive, passionate life when we are completely sold out for Christ, when we are alert and awake to his purposes, when we are about the kingdom work, not building our own kingdom. What's the difference? Kingdom work is inspired by love and a grateful obedience. Kingdom, uh, our own work, building our own kingdom, is inspired by pride and self-reliance. Kingdom work is has an eternal impact. Building our own kingdom is only temporary. Kingdom work values accountability. Building our own kingdom is accountable to nobody. Kingdom work wants others to see how, God, how great our God is, and building our own kingdom wants to make it known for ourselves. So we have work to do, but the question for you and I is what kind of work will we be doing? What are we going to be putting our energy and our time into? Lastly, verse 35 through 37. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. So now what? So now what? As we are in the middle of this already, but not yet, as we are minutes away from just kind of going out and heading out to get some lunch, go about our days, you know, maybe start cleaning up the Christmas direction, uh, decorations, cleaning the house, you know the deal. Now what, though? What, what, what is, as we enter 2019, are we supposed to be feeling like Christ's return is some sort of trap? Like a trick by which God hopes to catch us off guard? No. In fact, 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that the Lord is patient with mankind, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the truth truth is that there is a time coming so when when he will return, and this time he will not be coming as a humble child, but he'll be coming as the king of kings to whom we we must all give an account to no matter who we are or what we believed before. So if you're a believer in this room and you think you might be snoozing, wake up. 
Wake up. Ephesians 5, 14 through 20 says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Allow the word, this word and this message to be a reminder to you and I to, to be alert this morning. Like smelling salt kind of wakens us up to the important things, the eternal things of this life, and not getting caught up in the temporal uh, satisfaction that we live in the monotony of day to day. We must become prayerful, alert to the world we live in and be self-controlled. If you're, for those of you men, who you are following after Christ, you are a disciple of Christ, you're about the Father's work and assignments. You don't have it all together, but you are sincerely pursuing him. But you are alert in your understanding. I want you to know this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your laboring for the kingdom is not in vain. The Lord wants to validate you for all the times you made decisions to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and his word when it wasn't easy. When it wasn't easy. And the Lord knows, knows who you are. You may have not seen the fruits of the, of the decisions that you made. Let me just tell you, it's not in vain. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, so let's not allow ourselves to, be, get, to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will, have, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. And lastly, if you're a non-believer, if you're still not yet at a point where you've placed your trust and confidence in Christ, please hear this message. Please hear my voice. There is no time to wait. Stop putting it off. If you sense his spirit drawing your heart right now, it's not just to wake you up, to, to, be, to work harder and just to earn. Is it no, it's because you're spiritually dead in your trespasses to God. And there's nothing that you could do to come alive in and of yourself. It's by grace, through faith, not by any works that we could do, lest we boast about it. Remember, I'm the walking testimony to that. As we kind of wrap up, as we kind of just contemplate what's been said here, I'm going to have some smell and salt here. Like, what do I need a smelling salt? Some of you actually really need some smelling salt right now. <laughs> Feel free to take one. But the reason why I brought it here is I want it to be just something to hold on to. So you come, I encourage you to come and pray. Take some time to just be real. Say, Lord, I've been snoozing. God, I've been snoozing on you. And I need your help to wake me up. God, I want to do the right things. I'm willing, but you know, my flesh is so weak. I need your help. I believe this 
this message this morning is a call. It's a reminder. It's a posture of our hearts as we await the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to do a work in this place, God. Lord, starting with my own heart, Lord, as you know, as I've been praying and seeking your face so that you've been reminding me of the areas that I have been snoozing on you. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness and I thank you for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that every person here, the sound of this voice would understand that your mercies are brand new each and every morning. That although you are a God who is a righteous judge whom, whom we must give an account to, you are also a loving heavenly father who desires our children to be fully alive and awake to the promises and, and, and the work that you have for us that, that we could live for the kingdom and not building our own. God, help us, Lord, to be comforted during this time of tension. When we are in the midst of this already but not yet season and we're needing a fresh touch from you, God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. And Father, I thank you. I thank you for the reminders. I thank you that you don't leave us just to our own devices, but you have given us your word. That you've given us your spirit. And God, that you have given us of yourself to walk with us through the highs and lows, the ups and downs. And Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I love you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.